this evening we're going to turn over to the book of Philippians, chapter 4, and we're going to look specifically at verses 4 through 7, but I am going to read verses 1 through 7, just so that we get some context for what is going on here in Philippians. Paul writes to the church in Philippi in Philippians chapter 4, beginning at verse 1. Therefore, my beloved brethren, dearly beloved and longed for, my joy and crown, so stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. I beseech Eodius and I beseech Syntyche that they be of the same mind in the Lord. And I entreat thee also, true yoke fellow, Help those women which labored with me in the gospel, with Clement also, and with other my fellow laborers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say, rejoice. Let your moderation be known unto all men. The Lord is at hand. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, Let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Once more, Lord, we come together to look to your word briefly and to be encouraged as we prepare to go into another week. And we thank you that ultimately, true, lasting joy and peace are found in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And I thank you that we as Christians have every reason to know joy and peace. I pray that you would encourage our hearts as we consider these exhortations from the Apostle Paul, your servant. To the praise of your glory, we ask these things. Amen. Now, I don't know how many of you are morning people or how many of you are night owls, I am a night owl. I don't enjoy waking up as early as possible in the morning to see the sunrise. I don't necessarily enjoy just getting up in the morning, period. And you probably are the same way. But I will say this. Those people who are morning people who wake up happy and who wake up joyful and awake and ready to talk, um, well, sometimes can be annoying. But for the most part... For the most part, I really envy them because there's just something about seeing people who are joyful and excited that I really find attractive, find something that I long to have as well. Now, I don't know about you, but people who tend to be extroverted especially can also be this way, very outgoing, very happy, jovial, things like that. And the people who are a little more introverted, not that they aren't joyful, but maybe are a little more reserved in their expression of that joy, um, they, they may, it may not be quite as obvious. But there is a sense in which not everybody is portraying what's really going on on the inside, if I could say that. I think there are plenty of people who on the outside are smiling, but on the inside are hurting. And I think that there may be some people who aren't your typical extroverted morning person, extremely exuberant and excited, happy, emotionally high person, 
They may be more quiet and, and reserved, that really on the inside, they are bubbling over with a joy that cannot be compared to. For Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, his emphasis seems to have been this attitude of joy, this attitude of happiness, of peace, of joy. But he roots it in something that I think for us is very instructive because whether you're an optimist or as my wife likes to put it, a realist. Regardless of where you fall on that, there still is a sense in which we as Christians have every reason to know and experience joy and peace. And I want to share that with you this evening as we look to the the word one more time on this Lord's Day. I want to begin by looking at verse 7 because really that's Paul's thesis Or if you will, this is his point. So in verse 7, he says, The peace of God, which passes all understanding, it surpasses anything our minds can grasp or adhere and and hold on to, the peace of God that passes any kind of understanding will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. Ultimately, we, I think, as human beings long for peace. I look at the world, you look at the world, we see conflict, we see fighting, we see wars, we see all kinds of things that we know instinctively are not the way God intended it to be. And we want peace. For Paul, peace is found only, ultimate peace is found only in God himself. If we are looking for peace in politicians, if we are looking for peace in best practices, if we're looking for peace in just keeping my mouth quiet and not talking whatsoever, I don't think we're ultimately searching for real, true, deep, lasting peace. For Paul, the peace ultimately comes from God. He says the peace of God. The peace that comes from God is what surpasses all understanding and it protects our hearts and our minds. And at the beginning of this book, well, let me back up, at the beginning at least of chapter 3, in verse 1, he says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. So peace and joy somehow are being wedded together in the mind of the Apostle Paul. And if you are like me, you want to know joy and peace. So how do we come to know joy and peace in a world that's tumultuous, in a personal life struggle that you may be experiencing that seems to be stealing joy and peace? How do we know joy and peace? And I think it's the result of three things in the verses that we're looking at, verses 4 through 7. Three things that will be will result in knowing ultimate joy and peace that is found only in God and in the Messiah, Christ Jesus. And here's the first one, if you're, if you're taking notes for the outline. The first result of, uh, the, the first thing that will result in joy and peace is an intentional mindset. An intentional mindset. Verse 4, he says, Rejoice in the Lord. I don't care if you're an optimist. I don't care if you're a realist. I don't care if you're a morning person. I don't care if you're a night owl. Paul gives no caveats to what this command applies to. 
He doesn't say rejoice in the Lord if you happen to be an extroverted person. Rejoice in the Lord if your life circumstances are going fantastically well. He simply says, rejoice in the Lord, and then he gives this word, always. Always. Rejoicing in God is a mindset that Christians have to have. We cannot be known as the pessimistic Christians We can't be known as the Debbie Downer Christians. We cannot be known as the people who always see the glass half full Christians when it comes to our lives. We as Christians are called to have an attitude, a mindset that is focused ultimately on rejoicing in God himself. And that means for most of us, we have to get out of our situations. We have to get out of our circumstances and root ourselves in God. Because to be candid, most of us find our joy or our rejoicing in whether or not things are going well. For being honest, at least for me, okay, I'll be honest with you. For me, that's the way it tends to be. If things are going well for me, great. I'm on cloud nine. I am happy. I'm rejoicing. And then all of a sudden that that down day happens. And then I'm kind of discouraged. And maybe not as exuberant or excited as I should be. All too often, my joy is rooted in my circumstances. But for Paul, he says, you're rejoicing. Your joy has to be rooted in the Lord. That's where true joy is found. And we as Christians have every reason to rejoice. The person down the street who doesn't know God, who knows nothing of the gospel, whose ultimate destiny, if they persist in their unbelief, is the damnation and righteous judgment of God, they have no reason to rejoice. The only thing they can find happiness in is if their circumstances are allowing for it. Somebody who goes to the the gas station and gets himself some kind of scratch off and finds out that he wins the jackpot lottery. He will find a temporary joy and rejoicing that's tied exclusively to his circumstance. And we as creatures bound by time and space move on from circumstance just like that and can from one moment experience a high but in the blip of time and the next experience the deepest low and discouragement. But if we find that our rejoicing is is focused with this intentional mindset on remembering the eternal God. Then our rejoicing floats above the time that we're in, the circumstance that we're in, and is rooted in the one who Scripture says inhabits eternity, which means our joy isn't rooted in whether or not my job's going great, whether or not I have that house, whether or not my family is great, whether or not this circumstance or that circumstance is going the way I want it to. My joy is ultimately tied to God himself. Finding great joy and rejoicing in the eternal God is what we as Christians have to have our mindset on. This is an intentional mindset. And Paul says it again. Again, I say, rejoice. This is not optional. There are no downer Christians. We as Christians have to have this intentional mindset 
of joy. So knowing joy and peace will be the result of an intentional mindset, rejoicing in God himself and not in my circumstances, not in certain people, not in any of that. Rejoicing in God always. Number two, knowing joy and peace will be the result of an obvious character, of an obvious character. Verse five, in the King James, it says, let your moderation be known to all men. A translation I enjoy reading from is the New American Standard, and they translate it, let your gentle spirit be known to all men. The idea is your gracious, gentle reactions, your gracious, gentle attitude, your gracious, gentle perspective, all of that is going to be something that should be obvious to everybody. He says, let your moderation be known to all men. Not just to the people on Sunday morning and Sunday night when you go to church. Not to the people in youth group on Wednesdays, teens. But to all men. Whether you're in your workplace, whether you're in your home with your family, whether with your extended family, whether you're at your church, whether you're in your hobby or or club or any other circumstance you find yourself in, your gentle spirit should be obvious. For the people in Philippi, this probably was challenging because the people in Philippi were ultimately guarded by a garrison, a Roman garrison. There were some people, I think, who didn't like that, who wished not to be citizens of Rome, but to be citizens of another state, any other state really, than Rome, which is why Paul would say at the end of chapter 3, your citizenship, Christian, don't, don't worry about what's going on with the Roman garrison and your citizenship as a Roman citizen, blah, blah, blah. You worry about your citizenship, which is in heaven. But there were some people who were probably frustrated with the way the Romans were handling stuff. Not, not great. Anytime you read anything about the Roman Empire, which there's some kind of trend going on right now. The trend where you're like, how many times do you think about the Roman Empire or something? Am I the only one who's noticing that? Okay, some people are, some people are noticing that. Yeah, so apparently there's some kind of trend going around where you're supposed to answer the question, how often do you think about the Roman Empire in a week or something like that? And I have no idea why that's going around on social media, but that's a question. I never think of it. I don't know if you do, but anyways, that was free. Your gentle spirit, your gentle spirit should be known to all men, church in Philippi. That includes those Roman soldiers who are constantly patrolling your streets that really you don't want to be there. Your gentle spirit should be known to all men. This is something that should be characteristic of Christians. We should not be known as brawlers. One of the the qualifications of an elder, of a pastor, is that he's not a brawler, he's not a fighter, but he has a gentle spirit. And I'll be honest with you, for me, when I see people who have that gentle spirit, it's, it's very appealing and attractive to me. And maybe it is to you too. When you see that person who has a gentle demeanor, whose outward expressions to you is measured and gentle. There's just something so appealing about that. And I think it's because it's reminiscent of our God. Our God is gentle. He is a a gentle father. He is a gentle shepherd that he handles us carefully and gently. Firmly, for sure. God is firm with us. And he will give us his chastening hand if we should not yield to his ways and his will. But, but he's still so gentle with us. And when you see somebody in your life who is gentle, isn't there just something appealing and wonderful about that? 
Paul says to the church in Philippi, rejoice always. That should be your intentional mindset. But your character should be obvious. Let your gentle spirit be known to all men. Do people look at you and see a gentle, Christ-like spirit? Jesus himself, we looked at this a couple weeks ago, Jesus himself was gentle and compassionate. He saw the Jewish people with compassion because they were like sheep who had no shepherd. He invited the weary to come to him and, and he said, come unto me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest for your souls. The gentleness of Jesus, the gentleness of our heavenly father is the type of character that we should be exhibiting as well. And it should be obvious. People should look at you and know you're a Christian because you react differently. You react gently and graciously. That's, it's not a natural reaction. And when Jesus is telling people in the Sermon on the Mount, look, if somebody hits you across the cheek, you go ahead and turn the other one. If there's a Roman soldier who legally has the right to tell you, here's my cloak, carry it with me for a mile, you go the extra mile. Any Jewish person hearing that, any 21st century American Christian hearing that, would be like, whoa, 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 whoa. I have my rights. I don't have to do that. I don't have to do what he's telling me to do. But Jesus says, you should be doing things that are not what people are expecting. He says in the King James, be careful for nothing. The idea there with the word careful doesn't mean to be cautious, but rather, if you have a newer translation, again, I have the New American Standard here, it says, be anxious for nothing. Don't, don't worry. Don't worry. When you have a joy and a peace that's rooted in God, one of the things you won't do, as much maybe, is worry. Because ultimately, my joy is not rooted in my circumstance. My joy is rooted in my God, so I don't have anything to worry about. I know my God is good. I know my God is sovereign. I know my God has ordained all these things for my good and for his ultimate glory. So when I go through whatever circumstance in life I go through, I can know that I'm doing so with with the mindset that God is good. And I don't have to worry. Be anxious for nothing. But when, when I have those moments of worry, when I am anxious, what should I do? He says, in everything by prayer and supplication, with an attitude of thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. That is what our response as Christians ought to be. That we have this prayerful confidence. I don't have to be anxious because my joy, my peace is rooted in God himself. But when I do have those those cares in my life, when I do have those worries, those concerns, what do I do? I turn to the Lord. I turn to the Lord. An attitude of prayer and a confidence, knowing that the Lord ultimately is the one who is in control. The Lord is the one who is doing this for my good, and so I can have a peace, knowing that regardless of what happens, God is good. Jesus is wrestling in the garden. He's he's in the middle or about to go through his passion, and he's sweating great drops, as it were, of blood. He says, Father, If it be possible, let this cup pass from me. But then he says, nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. He knew the Father's will, and he wasn't anxious. 
There was a prayerful confidence he exhibited in the garden. Our Lord himself. And so here's Paul looking to a church in Philippi who is probably anxious. Their political climate was not ideal. They weren't liking where they were. But ultimately, he says, your joy, your peace has to be coming from this intentional mindset of, I will rejoice not in my circumstances, but in my God. I will exhibit and, and live out an obvious godly character before the world around me, before my fellow Christians. And I will have this attitude of prayerful confidence that everything that God is doing in my life is for my good. And I will bring those requests, those worries, those concerns that I have to him and leave them there. That's where they will stay. What is the result? Again, as I finish here, the result is verse 7. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. If you live with an intentional mindset of, I will rejoice in God, not my circumstances. If you live with an obvious character of gentleness, If you live with a prayerful confidence that God is good and is sovereign and in control and you can trust him and bring your cares and concerns before him, the result will be that the peace of God that you cannot understand will protect your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. So how do you fight worry? By these three things. How do you fight a loss of joy, a feeling of joy, of discouragement by experiencing and living out these three commands that Paul gives? How do you find ultimate peace in a world of turmoil when your soul is in turmoil? It's by living out these three things that Paul says a Christian should do. For me, as a teenager, I think one of the most impactful things was to see one of the men in my church who lived to be in at least his upper 80s have this attitude and lifestyle of joy and peace. He was Mr. Van Skyndel. He went through World War II. He is a World War II vet. He was a sheriff and had experienced so many challenges in his experience and career as a police officer that I remember one day my brothers and I were working at their house and we were doing landscaping, we were helping with various projects and then afterwards we went inside and they had prepared us some lunch. So we're sitting there and he was sitting there having lunch with us and his wife was there and I was fascinated with World War II as a high schooler. I just thought it was a fascinating time period in in American history. And knowing that he had fought in World War II, I was asking him questions about it. And without getting into any details, I could see that his demeanor was slightly changing as he was answering because he was in some very heavy firefights, very difficult circumstances in the war and had seen a lot of terrible things. And I remember his wife essentially ending the conversation because he was starting to get distressed from the things that he was remembering that he had seen and experienced. But then going the next Sunday, 
and the Sunday after that, and the Sunday after that, to seeing that in spite of his life circumstances and the horrible, atrocious things he saw, both in war and in the police force, that he had this spirit of gentleness, that he had this mindset of joy. Every time I saw him, he was smiling. He was a very dignified man, but he was joyful and, and, and was expressing his joy in the Lord. And he was a prayer warrior. He is, in his later years, he wasn't able to do much, but I know for a fact that he was a prayer warrior and that he prayed for the people in our church and for the needs that were in our church. When I think of these characteristics, I think of him. And my question for you is, are you that person that somebody else thinks about with these characteristics of joy and peace? Or who in your life have you seen exhibit this kind of character, that their lives are characterized with a joy that surpasses understanding, as our our catechism question says, a joy unspeakable as a result of Christ, a peace that passes understanding, and it's all because you see that they have this attitude of rejoicing, not in their circumstances, but rising above that to rejoicing in their God, and that their character is one of gentleness and graciousness, and that they are a praying people. That's the emphasis we want to have here at Calvary, is the people who live out these truths so that the peace of God will protect our hearts and our minds in Christ Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this hope that we have in Christ, that true lasting joy is found at your right hand, and that where once we were rebels and enemies, because of Jesus Christ, we have peace with God, and therefore you call us to have peace with others. So I pray for our church family. I pray that you would help us to live these out. I pray that you would help us individually to find joy, not in our circumstances, but in our God. That you would help us to live out godly Christian virtues of gentleness and graciousness. And that ultimately we would be a praying people, trusting in your goodness and your wisdom, bringing our requests before you, but ultimately not worrying Because we know, Lord, that you are in control and that all things work together for good to those of us who love you and who are the called according to your purpose. Thank you so much for these truths that stabilize our souls and help us to cling to them in the days ahead. For we ask it in the name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen.